0: want us to think carefully about this question and answer as confidently as you are able. Are you a Christian? Come on now, you got to participate here with me. Are you a Christian? Okay. Or, are you becoming a Christian? Okay. Will you one day be a Christian? Okay, so I can tell the answer's gotten a little less confident as we went along there. I'm not, where are you going with this? I'm going to tell you here in a minute. I'm going to answer this question in a minute with respect to those who trusted Jesus. But before we do, uh, I want to tell you about today's big word, big word for living. The big word for living is sanctification. Sanctification is our big word for living this morning. It is a big word. It's long and it sounds like when you use it you're really smart. Use it at dinner parties and icebreakers. If this word evokes you know the smell of a musty old childhood cathedral from great grandmother's funeral, right? And uh, the sound of an elderly man using words like thus, hither, thither, right? Uh, verily, pontificate, or my personal favorite forsooth, right? If this word evokes these kind of thoughts and sounds and smells, well, you're not alone. All right? In fact, coming across words like this in the Bible can make us question the very relevance of the Bible when we come across them. What am I going to do with this? But sanctification is actually God's biggest, grandest, most important project in us while we are still living here on this earth. So it's important for living. Read with me if you would in Romans chapter 6. Turn, grab a Bible around you. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 15 and read through verse 23. The Apostle Paul says this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words... Righteousness wasn't a part of your life. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word is great. It also says, Paul says elsewhere in Philippians, that to work out our salvation, commands us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works to will and to act according to His good purpose. So Lord, this life... A big part of it is our responsibility, but a bigger part is your responsibility as you work and act your purpose in us. So Lord, even this morning as we read your word, help us to think as our responsibility, help us to think hard, help us to receive and listen to what you have to say to us. But Lord, we ask that you would work through your word by your spirit this morning, according to your good purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so a little road map here for where we're going. I'm first going to define sanctification. Then we're going to look in God's Word to consider what the process of sanctification looks like. And finally, we're going to kind of end up with how we can be sanctified. How we can start down that road of sanctification. So a Christian, you may have heard this before, is a little Christ. We describe it as a little Christ. So if you've trusted Jesus... Back to my original question for you. You are a Christian. You are becoming a Christian, and one day you will be a Christian. Because one day you'll be more like Christ, and you will be in the image of Christ fully. If you read about salvation in the Bible, it's interesting. You actually get three tenses for this word past, present, and future. First, past tense. Let's look at an example of this from Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace that you have been saved. That is called justification. What theologians call justification, and the Bible calls justification. We read about that, talked about it a couple weeks ago. But along with the present tense, or, or sorry, past tense, you get a present tense. We'll look at an example from 1 Peter 1 9. Peter's been talking about how God is refining our faith. Even through suffering. And he ends this great little passage, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, by saying, For you are receiving, are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see that? So salvation is present. Salvation is also future. As Jesus says, Matthew 10, the one who endures till the end will be saved. You see that? Past, present, Future. Future is called glorification. So justification, sanctification, in the present, glorification in the future. Another way to think about this, kind of wrap our minds around this kind of difficult concept in God's Word, is that justification, the past, removes the penalty of sin. Sanctification removes the power of sin. Glorification removes the presence of sin. What does this mean? By removing the penalty of sin when we're justified, God says, I have permanently taken away the penalty of my judgment and my wrath for rebelling against me for all time. Sanctification, the power of sin. Gradually, God takes away the power of sin from our lives as we become more like Him. And glorification here moves the presence of sin fully. On that day where the trumps so sound and we go to be with Christ. So sanctification is this process of inwardly and then outwardly making us more like Jesus. But this morning, in a nutshell, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Through sanctification, God helps you become who you are. God helps you become who you are. You are a son, if you've trusted Christ, you are a son or daughter of the living God, of the King. But when you first trust Jesus, you might look at yourself and think, yeah, I don't really see the resemblance. I don't see the family resemblance here. You are God's workmanship. But when you first kind of start the journey of the Christian life, you may look at yourself and Say, yeah, I don't really work like the Bible says I'm supposed to work. You are something, and yet you're becoming something. We see this actually at work in our passage this morning. I want to look at this briefly through what's known as, um, I'm really going to challenge this here, uh, imperative and indicative voices. That's right. We're going to get our Greek grammar on, brothers and sisters. Let's do this, All right. Indicative simply states the way things stand, the way things are, okay? This is justification. So if you look at your passage here in Romans 6, you turn a little earlier in verse 2, it says that we died to sin, all right? So, right, this is the way things are. This actually happened in the past. We died to sin. Verse 6, our old self was crucified with him. Moving on, you have become slaves to righteousness, verse 18, Verse 22, you have been set free from sin. Do you see this? It's the way things are. So if that's the way things are, why does Paul then challenge us to become those things? This is the imperative. This is where he commands things. He says things like, in verse 12, do not let sin reign. Do not present your members to sin Verse 13. And finally, verse 19. Present your members as slaves of righteousness. But I thought we already were those things. How do we then do those things? Or become those things? This is the point. Salvation already has happened. But it's still happening in your life. We're becoming what we are. Maybe I could best illustrate this. Maybe appropriate for our Remembrance Day weekend, through what has been called the greatest rescue mission of World War II. Uh, Late in World War II, uh, US and British bombers were sent on dangerous missions over southern Europe to uh, cripple the Nazis' oil supplies. And I mean, these planes, tons of planes were going through it. They were being pelted with anti aircraft shells, right? Many pilots were forced to bail from their planes. Injured airmen drifted by parachute into occupied Yugoslavia, expecting to be captured or killed. Instead, Serbian peasants... It's a cool story. Serbian peasants on the ground tracked the path of these floating airmen, flight crews, and their sole mission was to grab the pilots and bring them to safety before the Nazis got there. Risking their own lives, the peasants fed... And shelter these downed soldiers. Now, these rescued men were in friendly hands, but still on enemy soil. They still needed to escape. All right, so the story of what became known as Operation uh, Halyard continues towards a daring mission, a secret landing strip, a covert evacuation plan. And remarkably, these Serbian freedom fighters rescued every single Allied airman, every single one, 500, over 500 and all. But here's the fascinating subplot to all this. I found that to travel, they had to travel to this evacuation site, the airmen had to spend weeks following these Serbian freedom fighters who alone knew the path to the evacuation site. And also there was this incredible language barrier. Right? So the whole time, they can't even find out anything. They just have to trust and follow. These soldiers had been saved from their enemy, but were still in enemy territory. The journey and the work had just begun, even though they were free. Right? They were free, but they still had to trust and walk to freedom. This is like our lives, friends. We have been set free, But we're still on that path to becoming more free. We're still in the enemy's territory, walking towards that full freedom. That is sanctification. We're becoming who we are. Does that make sense? So in this passage we're going to look at today, Paul gives us a picture of what becoming who you are really looks like. And how we can really become who we are. How we can be sanctified. So let's let's look at God's word together here. Verses 20 through 23. We're going to start there this morning at the end of the passage. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So first of all, sanctification looks botanical. Alright, sanctification looks botanical. That's the major motif Paul is using to describe in this section positive growth is what? It's fruit, right? Good old Luscious fruit, right? It's good stuff. I find it expensive here in Cayman. We're trying to grow our banana trees. It's not happening real well. Fruit, right? And actually, verse 23, it could be fruit. Instead of saying the wages of sin is fruit. But Paul is really careful to want to describe fruit in positive terms. Not to describe what comes from sin. So he uses a slightly different metaphor. Wages. But it's the same idea, right? The natural results of sin, death. Now look. Look. I am hardly botanical, all right? Whatever grows in our yard in the concrete slab of, with dirt on top, we call a garden. Right. Whatever grows there is an act of God, all right? Because truly, it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's a miracle among miracles. In fact, uh, just the other day, uh, I saw this small grouping of, of little multicolored lacy-like flowers right, in our yard, and I called Mason over. I said, look, come look at these. So Mason asked me first thing, Daddy, Daddy, did you grow these? I said, "Uh, no, son. No, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. When you see uh, something in our yard that smells and looks beautiful, it's always Jesus. (laughs) That's just the way it is. But I do know this, that given the right food right, and the right environment... Things gradually and inevitably grow. That's how it works. I do understand this about botany. That's why Jesus and Paul are fond of using this metaphor of fruit. If you're plugged into the vine, you will grow. Walk with the Spirit, you'll produce fruit. Well, first thing I want to tell you about this sanctification looks botanical because growth is gradual. You cannot see your own growth. Uh, you can't see your own growth. Uh, my other son, our youngest son, uh, occasionally likes to tell us that I'm always getting stronger and stronger. Getting bigger and bigger. He likes to tell us this, right? And um, he broke in with this the other day. And afterwards, he tells us what he also usually likes to tell us, which is, you know, after he says, look, I'm getting stronger and stronger, he, you know, says, look at these pythons. Like, he flexes, right? <sighs> And by the way, now that we're on the radio, I just realized I should probably explain by pythons, I mean biceps, because I don't want people to think that my son's playing with a man-eating steak. Of them. So by pythons, I mean muscles, all right? That's the idea here. All right, so he flexes these things. So the other day, he does this again. He says, Damn, "I'm getting stronger and stronger. Flexes his muscles, looks at them and says, eh, I'm not any stronger, all right? This moment of panic you know, kind of rushes in. Oh, we know this. You can't see yourself getting stronger and stronger because we're with ourselves all the time. It's so hard to see growth in our lives because we're always with ourselves. But this fact, this fact should not discourage us. But it should remind us that sanctification is a community project. Here I go with community again. I'm going to plug community groups. It's a community project. Specifically, we need others to encourage us as they see evidence in us of sanctification. They see evidence in us flowing out of us of growth. Right? We need other people to show us this. Do you have those people? Do you have people in your life you let in enough so they can tell you of your growth? And if so, maybe here's the more important question, if so, do you receive what they have to encourage you with? Some of us cannot receive genuine encouragements or compliments. Right? But in doing so, friends, in doing so, we're not being humble, meek, self-deprecating. You're denying Jesus And the gradual growth that He is working and forging in your life. Now, when it comes to speaking truth in community, this is where I find that my sisters in Christ, the ladies, I might say this, struggle, receiving encouragement, receiving compliments. How many times I've I've heard people say, No, no, no. No, no, no. I'll stop. I'm I'm really not a good person. Right? Don't worry, by the way. I've got something in my bag of reproofs. For the fellas here in a minute. So I'm going to make this gender equal. But I often find this. My sisters in Christ. Secondly, sanctification looks botanical though. Because growth is inevitable. This should encourage us, right? You water the seed in good soil. Give it some sunlight. A plant will grow. Fruit will happen. If you simply have faith and act on that faith. You will grow, friends. It doesn't need to be more complicated. You don't have to exert extra effort. That's why Jesus said, faith the size of a mustard seed, right? A British minister, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, tells one of my favorite stories on the inevitability of growth. I love the story. He, he was in Italy at this graveyard, all right, and he, he sees this massive, this massive slab covering some man's gravestone. Alright, but an acorn an acorn had dropped and fallen into the grave. You know, 400 years ago. Alright, so out of that acorn came a shoot. Out of the shoot came a tree. Right, so out of the acorn grew a tree so big and tall that it had split the marble slab in two. Now, Common sense will tell you in a uh, mono mano competition, acorn, marble slab. Who's going to win? Right? It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's inevitable. Every time, the acorn, the acorn, brings your faith. The size of a mustard seed, the size of an acorn, goes up against a hard heart, right? Stubbornness, deep seated fear, incessant desire for approval from others. That faith will inevitably win out every time through Christ. It is inevitable. That is, as long as your faith is genuine. Make no mistake, a genuine faith is always a fruitful faith. A genuine faith is always fruitful. If not, and this is the hard part, we have to start asking questions about ourselves. Actually, not us asking questions. Don't ask yourself, ask others. Because again, it's hard to notice our own growth. We need to look to community. Others can tell you. Others can tell you if you're uh, still intolerant of every little thing. Or so tolerant that you never stand up for the truth. And you let people walk all over you. Right? Others can notice if you still have no semblance of self-control or discipline. Or you're so self-control and rigid right, that you almost judge others for not being so. Others can start to see this in our lives. Right? Hard to see this sometimes ourselves. We have these blind spots. Do you allow others in your lives to speak this kind of truth into it? Do you? And if so, how do you respond to it? How do you receive it? Do you receive it? Or do you immediately dismiss it? Because of pride. Pride. I was meeting with a couple recently and the, the woman at one point in the conversing turned to me and said, uh, hey tell me what you think. It seems like guys have a hard time being told what to do. <laughs> I, sat there, I was like, there." she's on to us. How does she know this? How's this secret gotten out? Don't worry guys, I tried to hold it in. But somehow, this secret's gotten out, right? That we men, in being told something we should probably do, we like our egos to be massaged first. Just to help us, massage our egos, then you can tell us, right? This is how it works for us. And which is why I think, for us men in particular, this is a weakness when it comes to community speaking truth into our lives. Right? This is what cut me and pierced me to the core. We don't want to hear from someone else what's wrong or what we need to do differently. And it cut me to the core this week. I was thinking back, man, I have really struggled with this. To the point where I actually emailed a former elder of mine and said, you know, just thank you for speaking something in my life a while back. And I've never thanked you for this. But it was good and it was true and it was good for me to hear. Do you let people into your lives at the point where you can hear this? Receive it. So, anyway, sanctification looks botanical because growth is gradual and inevitable. All right? So, how then do we move towards growing? You with me here? Can we can we climb one more mountain on this? Because Paul gives us a major motif besides fruit. How we can move towards growing. We're going to look at that motif here in verses 16 through 19 where Paul says, do, not, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Right, he goes on to say, verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. How do we get there? How do we start on the road to slavery? We know what it looks like. It looks like fruit. How do we get there? We are sanctified through, fun word, slavery. We're sanctified through slavery. All right, this passage is hard. First of all, it presents the reality of slavery, right? And it kind of jars us uh, until it offends us. That we, cons- well, we considered all our lives to be freedom. We're free to make these autonomous individual choices. And, you know, all those Disney movies telling me to, you know, fill my destiny. Your destiny is yours, right? You remember these, right? They all say this kind of similar message. Yeah, it's all a sham. It's all a sham, apparently. We are created to worship. You may have heard this before. We're created to worship. Said mildly. Or we're created to give ourselves over to something outside of ourselves. Paul is more blunt in saying it. We're created to be slaves. Ah, and This offends us, right? This is the offense. There's an offense of this reality. First of all, it offends us because of our pride. Right? No one wants to grow up to be a slave. I want to be a slave when I grow up. Right? That doesn't happen. But it also offends us because we have, certain, we have certain associations, racial, ethnic associations with slavery, certainly for at least the last 300 years all over the world. But when Paul says this here to his first century readers in Rome, all right, slavery based on ethnic and racial lines was basically non-existent. And because of the Pax Romana, which is going on this time, it's like the Peace of Rome, even slavery based on captive people who lost the war, that was diminishing as well. A much more common form of slavery and reason for slavery at this time, and certainly to Paul's readers, would be one they most quickly would relate with, is that slavery was often for an insurmountable debt. When someone would get in over their head, all right, and they just couldn't pay back somebody, right, they loaned some money, you couldn't pay it back. What you would do is you would volunteer yourself to be their slave for one, three, five, ten years. All right, and work it off. That's the only way you could get out of this debt. Now, I'm going to press this analogy Paul uses on two levels. Because one, he's using it. Two, we all know we have some debt to pay. Right? On some level, we all, I think, recognize we have a debt to pay. We have guilt, shame, sense of obligation that results from sin. From this debt. And so we give ourselves to some master. Either to pay it off. Or to numb or medicate ourselves, right? In this sense, let's just get rid of this, or let's at least numb it. So we give ourselves to things. Thirdly, we all have a choice in masters. So at the end of our term, we either see the benefits of submission to a master or the forever devastating consequences of submitting to a bad master. And that leads us to the third thing about sanctification of slavery. Being sanctified means slavery. You have a choice. You have a choice of essentially masters, slave masters as a result. That's what Paul is saying here. Verse 16. He says, look, either either of sin, which leads to death, or righteousness, Right? You're going to present yourself as slaves either way. You have a choice, but man, that seems, that really violates my freedom. I thought when I came to know Jesus, He set me free. He did. What the Bible means is freedom. When they talk, when Paul and Jesus talk about freedom, they mean hitching your wagon to the one who loves you more than anything, to the one who is the benevolent of all benevolent masters. Think about it. Have you ever read these verses before? Matthew 11, 28-30. These are great verses. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now when you go to these verses, when you think of these verses... What do you think? Why do you go to them? Right? Usually it's for peace, for a sense of solace in our lives, even for freedom. But make no mistake, it's a yoke. It's still a yoke. We're just yoked to the one who loves us and is working all things for our good. We are made to be slaves. So Paul appeals to us in terms of these natural results of fruit. He says, will you choose a master then that produces fruit or something really bad? If you daily ask for God's help and choose to submit your heart, your mind, every part of who you are to God, it says in verse 22, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, you get to become more like who you are. You see that? So, if you choose to hitch your wagon, friends, if you choose to hitch your wagon to God as master, here's how you do it. Now, I planned this morning, I had this sweet, elaborate plan on encouraging us towards submitting our priorities to God and adopting His priorities It was going to be great I was going to talk about the importance of spiritual disciplines in our lives as ways to grow in Christ okay things like study prayer uh, fasting these sorts of things which are all ways to grow in Christ don't get me wrong but yesterday God put something different on my heart we were working around the house just doing some mundane things getting ready for my parents to come you know we were working hard Katie was Katie was working me right? You know her, she doesn't do that, you know her, right? But she, we were working hard. and I was thinking, this came to my heart. I wanted to tell you about a guy named Brother Lawrence. Right, Brother Lawrence is a French Catholic guy who lived in the 17th century. And he wanted Brother Lawrence, more than anything, to be a clergyman, right? A priest, or at least a really smart monk, that's what he really wanted to do. All right, that, that's, a, that's a good profession these days. But the reason he did that, or he wanted that, is he thought, if, I, if I'm a priest, if I'm a monk, I'll, I'll look more like Jesus. I'll become more like Jesus if I do that. Right? We hear stories of this. Typically it's older, but it still happens now. Man, if, you, if I want to be more religious, I should be, I should be a priest. I should be a minister. The problem was that Brother Lawrence didn't have the education to be either a priest or a monk. Now this is one of those stories, excuse me, this is not one of these stories where the underdog overcomes all odds to achieve his goal and no, it doesn't happen. This dude, he was subject to a clerical order and he had to submit to authority. That's what he did. So he gets assigned. So he goes to a monastery Right, he goes there. Can I be at least be a monk? And he gets assigned to the kitchen. All right, and becomes a cook. He lives out his life as a cook. In a monastery. And since then. Hundreds of thousands. Have read this cook's little book. The practice of the presence of God. He. Grew. To be more like Jesus. The family. Resemblance. Started taking shape in this son's life. Towards the end of his life, here's what he concluded about sanctification, about becoming more like Jesus. Our sanctification, he said, does not depend as much on changing our activities as it does doing them for God rather than ourselves not changing your life, not changing your lifestyle necessarily in some radical way. He may call you to that, but most of the time is taking the things we do and doing them for God. Taking the kids to school one day instead of your spouse. You could do it to earn points with your spouse, not before, or you could do it for God to love Him holding a door open for someone, or just helping a coworker, Right? You could do it to look good in the eyes of men. You could do it to feel better about yourself. Or you could do it to glorify Him. Right? Making plans for Pirates Week, right? Good things going on. You can do it to please yourself. Or you can do it for God, who tells us to make the most of every opportunity for Him while the days are short. Balancing a bank account. Taking a jog down Seven Mile Beach. We can do it for self-improvement. Or you can do it for God who calls us to do all things for His glory. Taking the mundane things of life and submitting them to and for our Master It's what He will use to help us become who we are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for this example. This example of a guy like Brother Lawrence who many could look at his life and say, well, you didn't really do anything super spiritual for God. You didn't do anything special for Him. But look what God did. Not only did he make a son and make him look more like his father, but he has influenced hundreds of thousands of people through this little book. Lord, you just do things in people. Great things, Lord. Gradually in ways that we don't see them. Inevitably, just with a little faith, and Lord, it starts to happen as we just say, Ah, Lord, I don't want to do it for me. I submit myself to You. I want to be Your slave. I want to live to glorify You in the little things that I do in my life. And that's when we start to change. Lord, may that be the cry of our hearts. And Lord, we know we can't do this on our own. We cannot do it on our own. I need to pray this, Lord. We acknowledge we need Your help. We need your strength. We need your grace to help us. Because even though we work out the salvation with fear and trembling, it is God who works to willing to act according to His purpose. We need your work, your grace in our lives to do this, to change really in our lives, Lord. Help us change. Help us this week. Take those mundane things. Do them for your glory not for ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen.